This episode of the Gab Street Podcast is sponsored by Lamar Jr. and Michaela Thomas. Check out Lamar's new album, Jr., on all platforms. Michaela's new book, Stripped to My Truth, releases September 24th. Now on to the show. You're listening to the Gab Street Podcast, Columbus, Ohio's number one podcast for underground talent. Every week we have new conversations with interesting individuals who contribute to the Columbus economy and its lively culture. You may find just what you're looking for right in your backyard. Let's get right into it. Tell us about your childhood. Which I have scheduled for this Friday. It's good. Yeah. Going back to therapy. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about it in the podcast. Get, get, get in touch with your inner Dino. Uh, I'm losing my inner Dino through all this. Yeah. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's been it's been a little, a little crazy. Anyway. We'll in what see, ways? We'll see what we get into. Are we starting? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> We, we can, can always, that. We we can can always edit this out. We we'll can, clean it we'll up. We'll come in back post. to. It. We'll come back to. It. Go, yeah. I, I, know, I know you have some some, some sort of a plan, but uh, but uh, we'll we'll get into it. All right. Welcome everybody to episode eighty three of the Gab Street Podcast. Today we have Dino Tripodis and Jeff Gage. Dino is an actor, writer, comedian, podcast host, and radio personality. Ah. Uh... No more radio personality. Uh, do I have to take? Well, well, no. You, but that was a significant portion of your career. I know, but when you're done, when you're not doing it anymore, do you still keep it there as like, or do you have to put former? What's the? Hmm. Is there a rule? Is there a law? Or just well, just, um, I think yeah. once a voice, always a voice. Yeah, that's yeah. my. Yeah. I, think, okay. I think you have to keep it as radio personality. Okay. You would be recognizable as. People don't say, hey, look, there's former radio personality Dino Tripodis. Yeah, but, say, they, but oh, that's the Dino from Sunny 95. Well, well, nobody would say, oh, there's radio personality Dino Tripodis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> say that yeah, would that's say true. that either. Have a name <laughs> they, would, they have to be really nerdy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you a radio personality? <laughs> yes. Were you a radio personality? Uh, I'm on the spectrum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yes. Now go down Jeff's list. <laughs> yeah. That's and Jeff is short. an actor, comedian, improv performer, and instructor, and realtor. And genius. And genius. That's right. Super genius. Creative <laughs> genius. That's right. I've been trying to catch a roadrunner for, <laughs> <laughs> for years I now. I and I'm this close. If I had all the money that I spent at Acme. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd be a rich but man today. Had I just invested in Amazon. That's true. They Acme seemed to get it there pretty quick. They did. It was they were the Amazon of their, ty- of their day. Of their day. <laughs> and they <laughs> delivered out in the middle of the desert. No, really. <laughs> and quickly. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. there. Huh. They mastered drone deliveries years yeah, before anyone before. else did. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Warner Brothers were way ahead of their time with those cartoons. <laughs> in what capacity have you two collaborated or are collaborating? In what capacity? Jeff and I go, gosh, Jeez. way, way, way back. Um, 80s. 80s. I think my first, and correct me if I'm wrong, my first encounter with you and... Uh, what later became, when you guys developed, was comedy sports. 
Was that right? Oh, God, yeah. That's is right. That, is that the yeah. first one? Yeah. Well, even before that, what was it? I think uh, when we were on the line with, remember Lisa Phillips? Yeah. At, at the old, what it was, it later became the Funny Bone, but it right. was like the, the comedy club. Right, right, right. On the yeah, Lisa Phillips. That's Yeah, that's, that's right. And, and, uh, and so that was like, we were closing open mic. Right. And you like you and Rathbone, there were Jack Thomas. There were a bunch of uh, comics that we kind of looked up to. That were you guys were a little bit ahead of us. Well, right? Jack Thomas and John Rathbone. I can go back even further. They actually started way before me. But I hosted. We used to have a a, a musical duo on campus. That's right, Doug and Dino. Right. And then I had the i I had the idea. On an off night, I told Louis Mackis, "Why don't you have a? Do why don't you have an open uh, comedy night? You know, where there's just amateur, com and that's where John Rathbone and Jack Thomas first got up on stage. Maybe not first, but but early on in their right. careers, got up there and 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 did their shtick. And I just hosted. I didn't do any stand up. I was just I had no I had no inclination, no idea, no no thought of doing stand up at that point. I just thought it was a nice Another way to pick up another 25, 30 bucks as a host <laughs> on a on a on That a was week big night. money back on, in on those a days. You know, yeah, that type of thing, and get free drinks from Louie and right. And, but um, and then stepped into to the stand up waters a little bit later. But those guys were probably a good one or two years ahead of me. Yeah, they were the first ones I, I knew from Columbus who like started doing the road. Right. So everybody kind of looked up to them. Right. They, you know. And did wasn't didn't Rathbone and Eubanks have a comedy duo for, briefly? I, or yeah, for, I think they, I think like, they gave that a shot for yeah, a hot minute. There's and another, and there's Mark Eubanks was a, another one that Mark Eubanks of, was a funny son of a bitch. Right, yeah, he took was, off. He was, and then I just remember we there was a comedy. It was a, I don't know if it was comedy. I don't know what it was. I remember a road trip to Mil, to Milwaukee. Yes, right. That was right. comedy sports. That was comedy yeah, sports right. with some and which still was, exists. There's a an. Uh, a, Variation or entity of that going on, well, pre-COVID, yeah, right, right now at the Nest Theater, they're they're running that that show, and yeah, which is a clean, friendly, improvisational uh, comedy thing that's uh, based loosely on a sports competition. Right. It originated out of Milwaukee. Uh, a guy named Dick Chudnow uh, was one of the creators and started. Who also was one of the creators of, uh, um, uh, what did Chudnow start? Uh, it, it became Kentucky Fried Movie. They were Kentucky Fried oh, Theater. He, he was with the, <laughs> and, he, yeah, the Zucker Boys? The Zucker Boys. He, the, yeah, he was one of those guys. Uh, they were all from from uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, uh, and that's, so, that was the guru we were going to go see, That was right? the guy we went to go see yeah, in yeah, Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. He was going to train us there, and we saw the, the Milwaukee show. That was yeah. Kenny Walker was a, right. Went in there. Right. Like it, we were comprised of a lot of the young uh, comedians at that time. Michael Loftus was on that. Michael, trip. Yeah. Robert, all those guys. Yeah. yeah. Man, God. Yeah. Ancient history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but to answer your question, wow. yeah. we'll ramble on and just uh, reminisce. Yeah. Uh, is yeah. the podcast over? <laughs> right. yeah. Jeff, Jeff is. We've collaborated on a few things over the years. Uh, not enough, 
to be perfectly honest we, with you, as far as I'm concerned. About a year ago, we were throwing around some ideas for like a comedy script, just loosely with John Whitney, your and, partner, right? And, uh, and we're still and we're still still hashing those still things hashing out. those things. Out. We had some great ideas, but nothing ever really germinated from right. those. That, uh, but you know, Dino is very ambitious and does. You know, he's a creative and. I think you always want probably well you've always been a writer I know but but and you love film so okay. I think you've always wanted to yeah I still love writing to do and, and and we have and we continue yeah. we just did we just uh, Whitney and I just uh, just did a, a short a little five minute because we were bored oh right I couldn't make it for that All right. for the yeah. that's right and yeah. and and, and you, you were replaced by Ralph Scott oh good yeah yeah but you were Ralph's very good and yeah, unless good Ralph actor. listens to this podcast he has no idea that you were the first choice oh but so yeah. don't tell him yeah <laughs> but uh you know he Heart did his fragile he, yeah. he, did, he did a great he did a great job and you know Whitney had some extra equipment that he had to get back so we just took advantage of it and uh we my house on a and in keeping safe distancing in mind, we, we shot it so that we were, you know, a full six to eight feet apart. I was behind the bar and Ralphie was pacing up and down. But we shot this little short called Spitball and um, two guys just trying, you know, desperately trying to come up with an idea for something. They're, they're, they've got the, the writer's block and they come up with a germ of an idea and then it just continues to escalate and get more and more outrageous. You know, what if, kind of like an improv exercise. It just keeps going yeah. up till it gets re totally, absolutely filthy. <laughs> it is filthy. <laughs> it is filthy, ridiculous, and then comes back down to, to the reality of where they're at. And it, and it turned out really well. John Whitney is, <clears throat> is a, does a wonderful job of shooting and editing. But it turned out pretty good. It turned out yeah. pretty good. We're just trying to figure out what to do with it and where to put it next. So, but, uh, but yes, I don't do nearly enough with him as far as I'm concerned. Every time I get an opportunity, like, hey, Jeff, can you do the podcast? I need, or hey, Jeff, can you do, when we were doing the premise down at the shadow box, you know, any any opportunity I get to use him, you know, I will take advantage of. I still, there's still like, there's still like, like, like one more big thing still to do with you before it's, I don't, I don't know what it's gonna be, yeah, but I don't it's, it's gonna, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be probably a film and it's going to be just bigger and and, and longer uh, because all, all I've gotten through the years are these short little doses. Um, well, it seems like every time we work together, you have like a small part. Right, <laughs> like, right, right, right. right. The, the, the place where we live. The street where we the live. The street where we live. Yeah. I had a short little part in that. And then... Uh, Bottom feeders. I've had. A, I was like a little. I was a cop. Yeah. Well, I had nothing so, to do with bottom feeders. Was well, that thing. yeah. yeah but you were just the star of that. that but yeah, we were star. Yeah. Well, you were the main character. Mm. But uh, yeah. um, that film does. Uh, is it still? Uh, it, it, oh, it's it, it's still out there. In, yeah. in, in the world to get, but you know, it, some of the it doesn't quite hold up on some areas. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, but it's still. It's not a bad movie. No, it looked good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, we were sh it was shot on film. 
It was That's how old it is. It was shot <laughs> back when we used to shoot stuff on actual film. And it yeah. cost poor Tommy Bauman a fortune oh, yeah. to shoot on film. And then it's like a year and a half later, the the, the digital video format started to, to, oh, to, to rise up. And people started shooting it that way. Like, oh my God, he could have shot this for a fraction of the cost. Right. But yeah, he, he shot on, on, uh, on 16. Yeah, the first few films expensive. we did. Uh, we did Bullethead. Yeah, Bullethead was on. They shot on film, and it's like, uh, yeah, you got to check the gate and be in the middle of the take, and oh, yeah. the reel ran out. Uh, so, you know, yeah. the only thing you worry about with shooting on video is uh, the battery dies. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, we got to do that. Take check again. the gate. Yeah. Gate is good. Yeah. All right, moving on. Moving on. Crazy. I still don't even know what the gate is. It's a, I guess they, they shine a light in the it's a, I, I, I'm in the camera. I'm assuming that yeah, it's 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 the you know the the gate around make sure there were anything any little pieces of anything that were maybe so you get the hair yeah, that shows yeah, up on a film yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> check the gate cube, how that got in there I don't know but uh, but what I never <laughs> what, I, what I never understood and this is because I'm I I'm not that's not my my my. Uh, my wheelhouse, the the technical part of it is like they always check the gate after. Wouldn't it make more sense to check the gate before you started shooting? You know what? You yeah, I never so. even thought about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I always wondered about that, but then I want to. I didn't want to be that one guy that asked like the stupid question, like, "Okay, yes, well, here's why, you idiot." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I, that's had to have made life so much easier for cameramen. Yeah, uh, it's like changing the reels of film on the camera and uh, making sure everything didn't get exposed and right. paying for the development and they literally i think when they cut well they now they could because they could even on film i remember they digitally cut it mm -hmm. they transferred it and then they would edit right on on computers but uh, like in the old days they used to literally in a booth cut the film literally cut it yeah uh, which is where that there's came still a from. couple yeah. people um and piece it together that, that that still like to work on on film um oh really yeah tarantino loves it yeah I know that he still likes to work does he really mm -hmm. okay yeah yeah they can uh, the thing is with uh, working on film we're getting way off on a tangent <laughs> but uh yeah you can go uh you can like they always say also in shooting production they can clean it up in post they can mm -hmm. add a rain cloud if they want to make it look like to match the lighting from a previous right. shot they can digitally do that stuff now which you couldn't on film right you know? speaking of being you know technically savvy um, we've all had to become a little bit more of that lately that's true because of yeah this uh, this year basically yeah, I still need to get more savvy to thank God I have yeah you do this podcast all by your lonesome right you mm -hmm. you you record it you edit it you release it you push it you you do it all right yep yeah if I didn't have the uh, audio producer Whitney Hansberry and Whitney on the video side there'd be no podcast yeah yeah it's absolutely. hard to do by yourself unless you're a techie yeah yeah unless and i'm not a techie yeah. Yeah. i'm not a techie and you yeah. had to do a few remote interviews for a while there and once again you know mm, i did that not, too. Not, not me you know it's john <laughs> whitney you know putting everything on Streamyard. we did uh we didn't do zoom we did uh we've gone with Streamyard. we did something else prior to that i can't remember what it was 
but yeah, the StreamYard feed, and it's Whitney and Hansberry sending it out to everybody, and you know, I, all I do is talk and 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 go from there. So yeah, hats off to to those of you who are technically savvy. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not either. I I send me the link, I'll click on it, and I have. I can do that. I can I click have the capability of clicking on it and saying hi i'm here can you hear me yeah that's about <laughs> I, it. I can click so, i can click but uh, as far as setting it up and making sure everybody's on and uh, yeah all that other stuff uh, but you're probably even a little bit better than me because every once in a while there'll be like one of these things from Whitney says he'll say like uh it's i'm clicking and, and nothing's working and they'll tell me like turn off your computer and 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 start over and i'm like oh, i'm afraid <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid if I turn off the computer, I'll never ever get That's back right. again. You mean actually turn it off, off, like completely off, like like you, reboot the yeah, whole yeah, thing? Yeah, like, wow. What? Are you, you know that whole that whole don't press that button. How fear. you know what else is? Uh, have you ever done where I hey, my my car's making a funny sound? Maybe I should just turn it off and turn it back on and right. you know, fix it. So. Yeah, right, exactly. What what, other, what else can you do? Just turning it off and on, and hey, everything's good now. Good. That's all I had to do was flip it, a button. It needed a rest, apparently. Yeah, of some exactly. Sort. Yeah, no, I hear you. If I had a gas-powered computer, it would work that way. What's that? If I had a gas-powered computer, gas it would work that right, way. Exactly. <laughs> My computer runs on diesel. <laughs> so we've had to learn a lot of lessons and skills in the past few months because of what's going on. But yeah. I have to ask both of you, what are some lessons and skills you've learned in your professional lives that really can't be taught by a teacher? Uh, what can only be learned by your experience? Oh, gosh. Jeez. Um, well, in, <coughs> excuse me. In regards to, um, <coughs> that's a smoker's cough, not a COVID. I was going to say you better not have the COVID. That's a smoker's cough, not a COVID cough. Sorry, and the water went down the wrong pipe. Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, I, I think, as a performer, as a live performer, uh, the only thing that gets you comfortable in front of an audience is being in front of an audience. I don't think that's something you can teach. I think it's something some people just naturally have. They have an ease in front of people. Other people, you kind of get it. As you go along, you kind of learn uh, or kind of obtain this comfortableness in front of an audience, this vulnerability up there. Because not everybody's born with that. I, not everybody can learn it either. I think it's something that kind of clicks the more you do it. Uh, mm -hmm. It's like anything. It's like riding a bike. But uh, that's something that I don't think you can you can teach, like how to read an audience. It's it's an innate thing that comes from experience, I think. Mm -hmm. um, that, that would be the only thing I would think that... The, or I mean, I'm sure there's other things. That, I, I uh, would echo that sentiment too. Going even back, like when we went to to Milwaukee. I mean, you know, this this is a, a a troop of of inherently funny people who went to Milwaukee to take lessons, or for lack of a better word, to learn how to improve their funny. Well, yeah, you can. There are some uh, rules and and lessons in, in improv that. But once again, it's up to that individual i don't think you i don't think you could take the average person on the street and say here are the rules of improv now, now go be funny there has to be something inherent right inside yeah. that, that yeah there's some sort of 
there's some sort of a gene in there of some sort. Um, and it takes time. It takes time. I mean, you hear stand-up comedians talk about it all the time about how it took them years to find their voice mm-hmm. on stage. You know, I, I, I came across, a, uh, I found some cassette tapes. You know, I was rummaging through my office trying to think. Like the, did you sell, did you sell tapes? I did sell cassette tapes, okay. but I actually would record oh, okay. old sets right, on, on sure. cassette, you know, right. and, and micro cassette, and well, I stepped up the micro cassette, but I right. yeah. and I would, and I also found tapes of me rehearsing, you know, what, yeah. what you try to do jokes at home. And I'm, I was laughing my ass off. I got like, who the hell is this? Because <laughs> I, 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 first of all, my voice was like a, a, a good octave higher. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. All the whiskey and cigarettes of the years have definitely lowered it to the timber that it is. But then it's like I, I was listening to those early and I wasn't me. I was unconsciously emulating what I thought yes. a stand-up comedian should sound like. You know? Right, you know? yeah. And I don't know who I was borrowing from at the time, but in my head, a stand-up comedian sounds like this, you know. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and it was it was actually very funny and sad at the same yeah, time. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> you can't believe how. Yeah. 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 yeah Why yeah. was I trying to sound like Seinfeld? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Trying to go for more of an Andrew Dice Clay or a Louis C.K. Or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, you don't. You, you you find your own. You find your own. Uh, your own place. Well, I, I think you see that in music too. Uh, sure. More prominent, mm. where people try to emulate whatever sound is popular at the time, and that's been going on for quite some time. Well, forever. Uh, yeah. But uh, it, you really see it now. Like, you can't have a pop song now that doesn't feature some rapper, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That raps in, in the middle in the mix. Of, right? Because somebody did it and it was successful, and now everybody's got to have that in their song, you know, yeah. or it's not going to be relevant. And then you hear people like saying, and you that, know, the, the, the stuff that's, inf- you know, they had, they had a Beatles influence. And then right. You go back to the Beatles, though, but the Beatles had a, an influence from, right. from 50s. Uh, Little rock, Richard. Rock and roll. Yeah, right. that, they, yeah. that, they, that they, you know, every, everybody. Steals from somebody, yeah. <laughs> borrows or or you know whatever makes an impression on you, right down the line. You know? Highest form of flattery. Yeah, yeah that's it, true. it is. It is. It is. Is there a point in time for both of you where you felt like you kind of emerged into your own voice that is identifiable, or was it more of just a really a long term process? A little bit of both for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I you know when I think of Jeff Gage, uh, I I hear I hear a voice in my head, and I know that he's quick witted, and I know how I, I I I am familiar and comfortable with his delivery on things, and it's I, I hear his voice. So I would say, you know, I'm not speaking for him, but I know that he's got a voice that I know enjoy. And when I'm thinking of like, oh, got to get Jeff Gage for this, that's, I'm, I'm hearing his voice. I, you know, I know he's quick. I know he's spontaneous. And I know he's, he's got the, the, the timing and the delivery, you know, he's quick. And then when he delivers something, it's, it's just, he, it just does it in such a magical way, whether it's in the moment, self-deprecating. Which I love self-deprecation. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love. I love. <laughs> it's easy to do when you're me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, to be able to laugh at yourself and and then make other people laugh in the process of it. So, 
yeah, I think that that voice comes, but that voice wasn't always there and my voice wasn't always here. It does, it develops and you, you find it. All of a sudden you find that, that, that comfortable stride. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, and like, I think it's, that's more a more crucial element for the stand-up. Right. And I, you know, I dabbled in stand-up. I was never, I never considered myself a stand-up. Just from working in stand-up clubs and with a bunch of stand-ups, I, I was like, especially with open mics, you see people go up and um, this is really what inspired me to even do stand-up is like, I would see people and go, well, shit, I'm funnier than that, uh-huh. you know? <laughs> so I tried stand-up and I realized I could do it, but it wasn't my passion. It wasn't what I wanted to do. I loved scene work. I loved sketch. I loved doing characters. I loved the fact that in one show I could be the president, a cowboy, an astronaut, a caveman. You know, I could be all these different things within one show, which you can do in stand-up too if you craft it correctly. If you did, but um, yeah, you know. But uh, I was never a monologist. I didn't hmm. want to just do a, a monologue. Plus, I always liked the uh, the ability of. Uh, if you didn't have something going, take it away. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else on stage yeah, yeah, yeah. to like pass the ball uh, to, so you know, so that there was a comfort with that came with that. And some people, a lot of stand-ups aren't comfortable with that, no. giving stage to somebody because they, they want the, the, the spotlight on them. Right. So it's a, it's a matter of your comfort level, you know, and learning to trust that, you know. You hosted and, my roast. I did, yes. Yeah, he was a great host. That, yeah, the, the, that was a funny. That was the first one I remember anybody even doing. What roast? Your roast. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, but, uh, in Columbus. <laughs> well, that was now they have a roast, or not now because of COVID. Right. But there was you'd have three or four a year. You know, my fiftieth uh, birthday. Yeah. Oh, God, awesome. eleven years ago. God, even 11. eleven. It seemed like thirty. No, <laughs> feels like thirty. No, it seemed like it was just last year. But, uh, but to Paulie, me. Paul, our buddy Polly, Paul yeah. Anthony put that together. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Gage was the host, and he was an amazing host. And 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 once again, he you talk about a character. He he embodied. He was Jeff, but he was like this. The he he was this this host, this character. You were very funny. Oh, thanks, <laughs> man. Oh, you were the perfect, the perfect, the perfect host for that. Yeah, it was easy because I didn't have to roast. I only had to write a few jokes for each person on the day. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, it was a, here you go. And you didn't have to write away. jokes. All you had to do is tell the truth. Yeah, right. Exactly. I did get to lambaste a few people, yeah. you know. And, uh, and, of course, you can hurt people. Like, I was never like. Uh, oh, come on, hurt people. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's a roast. It's you a know, roast. Right now. But, uh. Yeah, there's a little bit of truth between some of those insults, you know, but it's it, it's all in good humor. Um, I've been lucky enough to see you host a few improv shows uh, for oh, right. yeah. the improv class and such. Yeah. What, what are some things that uh, through teaching that class you've kind of, you've learned yourself that you didn't know before about improv? Ooh, good question. Um, that don't try to be funny. That, you know, um, because when I did improv and we worked in comedy clubs, the group that I worked with, and we were comprised mostly of stand-ups. There were only a couple of us that who were not stand-ups. And we actually put a, a like a, 
a rule in place of laughs per minute. We, you know, we have to go for the laugh. We got, you know, we're in a comedy club. They're expecting funny. They're not, you know, not that, and we put that on ourselves. I think we could have done something maybe socially significant or something that maybe would have touched somebody hmm. and made them think, you know, about just life and relationships. You don't have just because it's a comedy club, you don't have to. You, there should be some humor involved, but you can also be poignant. Um, but we weren't. <laughs> we, went, yeah. we went straight for the dick joke, um, and because we felt we had to. And now, as from teaching the class, I realized the just the honestly, the honesty. Show me a relationship. If it's honest, the audience is going to identify with it. Um, all improv is, is we're just, uh, like I say in the classes, we're just holding a mirror up to society saying, look, this is what we look like as human beings. Um, that's why people will find the humor in it. Um, and I, th I think a lot of stand-up, observational comedies like that, or even like if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, I think they use a lot of improvisation in that. He's looking for honest moments, just people right. in the moment being an, having an honest reaction to the situation you know that it's gonna be absurd you don't need to go for absurd right off the jump it'll get you know, there it's gonna be weird do you yeah. do you like teaching i do yeah, yeah. Did, did i mean did you say wake up and say you know i, th I think i want to start teaching improv classes or did that or like Hey, will you teach an improv? Well, did I you, did you choose to do it, or were you I asked? To do it? Well, I was asked to do it initially, which is what got me into it. I was kind of out of comedy at right. that point because we split up and people moved, you know, all across the country, and we would do the occasional corporate thing or whatever. But it was all performance based, and then uh, somebody got my number and reached out to me and said, "Hey, you want to teach an improv class?" And I was like. Uh, we have a group that we just need to coach and I was like yeah sure I'll do it they were gonna throw me you know 50 bucks or whatever it's like yeah I, I can come do that and I realized when I started doing that being around that creativity that energy uh, I was like man I, I miss this I miss this, this is a thing yeah. in my life that I met like and I always say some people paint some people play guitar some people write that whatever your creative muse is that was something that was lacking in my life and I realized that's what it was was this improvisation thing and I had something to give that these guys didn't have that I could just kind of impart to them well, so it, 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 it was fulfilling in that sense so then I started going well I could I had a relationship with the funny bone so it's like hey Dave can I teach improv classes and it started out like I was just going to do one a year and then people were like, well, what's the next class? I went, there is no next class. I did an intro introduction to improv, and they're like, well, this is it? I'm like, well, no, there's more. But and they're, So then I created the, the advanced class, you know? And then I started doing like three and four, and then I got up to six classes a year. I was like, wow, it's really become a little side gig. So, But I enjoy doing it. I, I enjoy watching people create, and I know to teach them not even though it's going to be funny, not to be funny. Just be in the moment. Just be yourself and trust that it's going to be funny. Gab Street is sponsored for episode 83 by Lamar Jr. of Eclectic Styles and his new album, Jr. He doesn't ask for too much of your time. This 12-track, autobiographical, 30-minute long album is a dynamic, jazz-influenced hip-hop experience. 
You can find Junior on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, and YouTube. Here's a sample of the album. Trying to bring back when people had beats and rhymes. Not a vegan because I eat gold all the time. Go against me, it's like fighting Ali in his prime. Because I'm always on my grind, never ever on that so slow. Fighting MCs, it's to me just a no-no. Back band, dodging on the bullets in slow-mo. Neo, I'm the one, so you know you need a photo. Promo is always at the front of my mind. Getting green like I'm sweet and juice out of a lot. Major key alert, got me screaming like Khaled. Only one here, like I'm on a desert uh, island Yo, be Dr. Seuss, with the way you be rhyming yeah. Bedtime story, go to bed and be quiet, be quiet. And stop your crying You can find him by searching Lamar Jr. on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, and YouTube Or by clicking the link in the description of this episode Gab Street is sponsored by author and certified life coach Michaela L. Thomas. Her new book, Stripped to My Truth, releases on September 24th of this year. The premise of this book resonates with me as someone on the path to becoming a social worker. This kind of open communication about the trials and tribulations some go through from an early age is important for people to hear who may have similar experiences themselves. Straight from her, here is a description of what you can expect from the book from her website. What would you say if I told you I was emotionally, mentally, and physically abused once upon a time? What would you say if I told you that I twice lost a child, once at 15 and then again at 17 years old? How would you feel if I said my innocence was stolen from me by someone I trusted? Here I stand from child to adulthood encountering what seemed to be heartbreak after heartbreak, not realizing that I was cutting and bleeding all over myself. Why? Because hurt people hurt people. It took some dark valleys and long roads for me to travel through before it finally clicked to tap into my intentional healing. Loss of life, trauma, homelessness, and the list goes on. It wasn't until I began taking a really good look in the mirror and really sitting in my mess that I understood what was actually happening. Every light that casts a shadow never stays lit. Every character that plays their role will eventually fade. There's no amount of self-help books, audio, or videos that can or will change your life. At least, not without your key star player, you. To truly disengage from every shackle that locks you into complacency and stagnance, and each hurricane of emotional turmoil that covers you, you must strip down to your bare-naked truth. You can find that description of Michaela's upcoming book, Stripped to My Truth, on MichaelaLThomas.com. That's M-I-C-A-E-L-A-L-Thomas.com. Stripped to My Truth will be available for purchase on September 24th, 2020. On her site, she has a personal bio, which I will read for you now. Michaela L. Thomas is a wife and mother, co-captain of a large, blended family. She parents six biological children, four stepchildren, and one bonus child with husband Kendrick. Born in March 1987, she grew up in East Cleveland, Ohio, to a single mother and loving family village. Michaela has always had a knack for writing. Whether it was poetry, plays, songs, books, or short stories, she was always able to utilize her imagination to keep her centered from the internal turmoil that brewed within. Eventually relocating to Columbus, Ohio, this is where she began discovering her various talents. The story of Michaela's life has been kept secret for the majority of her 33 years of existence. She has now decided to share her journey for the encouragement and betterment of others who may be suffering in silence. 
It is her hope to assist in being an advocate for the intentional healing of others through her own journey of self-awareness and manifestation. Now back to the show. I remember the first moment that I kind of internalized that idea um, of don't try to be funny was when back when I took the class so sorry back when I took the class when I was 14 years old that's right so that was a lot of my youngest students yep we had uh, I think we were doing translator was or if, if that's the name of the of the game um, oh yeah it's just following each other or interpreter yeah, interpreting yeah. yeah the two people on either side trying to talk to each other the interpreter in the middle right doing uh, gibberish on either side and I think one person pointed to the other person's shoe and just made some noise and the interpreter was like, what's wrong with your foot? Like it was just a very natural moment that wasn't forced. He was like, that's what I saw. That's what I said. You know, right. that's how I interpreted this moment. And it was probably the funniest thing to come out of that. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't a joke. It wasn't a setup punchline. It was just an, uh, the, the audience laughs at honest, Sometimes right. it's just a take, just mm-hmm. the way somebody looks at somebody. One of the funniest things I ever saw was some lady was trying to be funny, and the scene was just like a librarian, like they're, you're in a library, they, and this lady came in and she's like being all goofy, you know, uh, just going, eh, we, and she, I think she was going, trying to be funny, but the funny line came from the librarian who was just like, Oh, oh, are you all right? <laughs> you know, like, she was just honestly concerned that this person was off her meds. And that got the biggest laugh, you know, not the person who was being outlandish, you right. know, because just, she just looked like an insane homeless person who stumbled into the library, you know. But uh, so, again, it's, it's sometimes funny. It's just the, the natural human behavior, you know, because that's what we all are, right? We're just humans, you know. And that's all comedy is. You're trying to, you know, there's comedy classes like how to write a joke and, you know, because it's it's all about the turn or sketch comedy. Still don't know how to write a joke. What? Still don't know how to write a joke. (laughs) Well, you you were always a storyteller. Yeah. And again, I think that goes to finding your voice, right? Right. You know, Um, you find what works for you, what connects with the audience for you. Um, And I I, I don't know. Let me ask you this. Um, Yeah. You know, if we if we were on stage tomorrow, you in an improv uh, capacity, and and me in a stand up venue, I've I've thought about this. Like, I haven't been on stage since the last time I was on stage was I think was when we did the the premise down at, at Shadowbox. Right. Um, I've been in front of the microphone, obviously with the podcast, but as far as performing in front of an audience, I don't know what the hell I would talk about on stage right now I would feel for lack of a better word a responsibility to be current and with everything that's going mm. on in the world but at the same time I I there's there's a part of me like aren't people sick of it you know but but I, I but as even even in a from a comedic perspective would they Oh, uh, he's gonna tell COVID jokes, or yeah, uh, right. he's gonna, you know, you know. Well, and again, how do you avoid the elephant in the room? Right. You know, it's like, uh, 
we're all affected. So you go on every so, stage, and I need an idea for you know the hand sanitizer. Yeah, know, right. You know. Yeah, I you know, and that's the thing. I think a lot of those suggestions are going to be, yeah, the, just the whole way we do that business now and like i'm still right now at, at the time we're recording this trying to figure out i just had an e email this morning from a, a student who wants to know when when are we starting classes again and the answer is i don't know right uh the funny bone is still in flux i know they're booking shows in anticipation of uh these things but they could be shut down at any minute right they're, and, they're, and they're, they haven't they're, started yet so, and at what capacity, how far is the audience going to be away from the stage? Well, the, the, the Funny Bone actually is doing shows with, with comedians now, but they've got the whole, you know, you have to have your temperature checked before you go in. Oh, okay. No more than four at a table, and those tables are six feet apart, so there's yeah. no big, you know, there's, the Funny Bone holds, what, 325 that's four hundred. Well, they, yeah, they, but they're only doing a hundred. They can only they can only do a, a portion of that yeah, capacity. Right. So I mean, Jesus, and I, I don't and and I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, there's a part of me that's just almost a little uh, intimidated by the fact of of going into a gathering that many people. Uh, gather no, 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 not 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 so much the people. Like you know, like you go to the Funny Bone and you go on any given night. There's even on a slow night, there's 200 people there. Right. I, I'm a little in. I don't know what, what the word. I'm just uh, almost. I'm slightly intimidated to go in front of a smaller group. That's that's maybe just as tentative being there as as anybody. I don't I think know. There, but here's the thing, and it's always been this way with comedy. People are there to get away from whatever it is. Right. That, so, so that they. <clears throat> Yeah, so I see your point so, about do you talk about it because they're there to forget about it as well. Right. That's why they got out of the house. They're going stir crazy. So, they want to get away and just laugh and not have to think about what's going on in the world right now. So the only thing I could say, you know, when I'm home making notes, still making notes, I'm thinking like, well, maybe I don't talk about, you know, but maybe what where the funny comes from is what direction your life has gone since all this happened. Right. Right? You know, maybe, maybe you know, I spent five weeks with my mom in Florida when she uh, fractured her hip, but it was, you know, I was going into the into the epicenter of, of, of COVID by going to Florida, you know. Yeah, right. I drove down instead of, uh, instead of flying. I, I went through, you know, we ain't wearing no masks in Georgia, you know, right. tentatively, and and, Jeez, and, yeah. and and picked and very carefully picked and choose where I'd go to stop to pee and get a, a a sandwich. So maybe you talk about those things and the observations you, you see so much about yeah the, the actual you know statement. Of, I don't know. It's, it's almost it's, hard to avoid it. You know, it is. it is. It's part of our lives now, and it, it seems like it's going to be going forward. Like the way we do things, the way we interact. I don't like it's it. Just uh, I don't either. It's yeah. uh, like I was just talking to one of my clients uh, yesterday um, because I I sell real estate and I had a uh, Jeff Gage with Keller Williams Greater Columbus. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> I got to uh, let people know that I sell real estate. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> 
she goes, I can't go to uh, a showing tomorrow. I have a funeral. And I go, oh, wow, that's got to be difficult to go and just wave at somebody. Because, you you know, when you console somebody, naturally you hug them, right? Right. And, and when they're grieving. And when you have to maintain, you know, six feet. It's right. like, how do you, I guess you pay your respects by just showing up. Right. Wearing a mask and wave at them and go, hey, sorry, blow them a kiss or whatever it is. But, geez. Just that human interaction, uh, you know. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, kids too. I feel bad for the kids today who can't go to school and be around their friends and, you know, interact with other kids. Right. I mean, that's just such a crucial part of growing up. It's, yeah. you know, how you socially identify. And my, my cousin's a freshman at Ohio State this year. He came, he's a transplant from Long Island, you know, and like, yeah, he's and he's doing fine, but yeah. you know he gets he gets no football season. He now he's got no spring break. He's got right. Yeah, you know it's like okay, you came to the, one of the greatest universities in the world. Yeah, and, and it's and you, but and they're they're gonna start uh, suspending kids for having parties. If right. They, yep. You know it's uh, it's crazy. yeah it's it's different. It's a different college experience. Too. It is. Yeah. I asked some I asked somebody I asked a guest of mine on the podcast. I said you know he was he was bitching and talking about how stupid some of the 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 kids have been on campus with right like, and they have and, been and I said yeah. I said but put you know put yourself back when you were at at, at school you know and and. You're 18. You're 19 years old. I said, "Would you have worn a mask?" Absolutely, I would have worn a mask. I went, "Come on, would you have worn a mask? <laughs> would you have followed all the protocols, or would you, at 18, 19 years of age, call it stupid or not, just had that? You know, I'm I'm invincible. I'm invincible. Yeah, right. Nothing's going to happen sure. to me, and, yeah. and and not have the the mindset where okay, well, maybe I'm invincible, but I might be infecting somebody. No, you weren't thinking any of that stuff back then. No. I'm not saying it's right, and I'm not saying it's an excuse or an out. That everybody needs to be more diligent and vigilant about everything. But uh, you know, I said, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how how 18 year old, 19 year old Dina would have would have been back then. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. given how crazy things were in the. Ben, ben. In the in the late 70s, he said, <laughs> looking at the microphone at Ohio That's State right. University, where we used to go to bars and they would serve the beer. Oh, my God. Can in, you a am- in a bucket. Yeah. In an actual bucket. They would take plastic pails where people but, use for mopping and, when, and fill it up with beer. Beer. Yeah. And then people, when they were done with that bucket, would pee in those buckets. And they would take the pee buckets and they'd rinse them out and wash them out and fill them back up with beer. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if that was happening right now? A bucket of beer? Yeah. No, I can't. That's it. Where people that are dipping the, in there with their just, cups just and just sco- just cup. a cup in there and scooping it out, ladling it out. Do you remember the smell of that? Pl- that was Papa Joe's. Yes, right? Papa I mean, Joe's in Northburg. Yeah. Do you remember the smell? Just walking in the yes. place, it just and your feet would stick, stick to, to the, the ground. Floor. Yeah. Just the sticky uh, beer. Yeah. That, yeah. And yet there was something comforting God. about it. There was. It was like <laughs> you wanted to be there. You wanted to be you there. You wanted to be in the smelly, sticky. Beer people would dump buckets of beer from the balcony down right. on top of other people. Oh, <laughs> oh god, yeah, this sticky pee might be mine yeah. from the night before. I don't know, 
Yeah, can you imagine? This? It was just, just disgusting it, and glorious. To even be just be a poor. <laughs> oh my God! He just stuck a, a plastic cup into a bucket of beer, and he's—they're all drinking out of it. Well, now everybody's like, "Oh, he breathed on the empty bucket." Like now, yeah, that's right. the problem. Exactly. <laughs> that's where we've come. Well, yeah, I, I kind of freak out when I see people, and even in outdoor, uh, like I don't know why my mind goes to this, like. Uh, <laughs> Like I'm some kind of inspector for the state of Ohio. But I see people sitting in cafes or patios, and I'm like, those tables look too close together. Right. Like, they're not. None of those people are wearing masks. How could they while they're eating? But you know, so they, right. how can you eat with a mask on? But still, I just, I just look at it, and it just looks absurd to me. Now. I saw two I, people shake hands. The other day, and I was like, it, it caught it caught me off guard. I was driving through downtown last night, and I saw um, like four kids get out of an Uber right in the short Jeez. north, and I was like, oh my! With God. no masks, no masks, no masks. Yeah, and get four kids getting out of an Uber with a mask. Okay, yeah, all right, but no mask. Yeah. But even just. With a mask, like four kids in an Uber. It's like I'm like, oh god, that's just an outbreak waiting to happen. Wait, that's man. before COVID. That was a problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah right, right. It's like ah, four kids. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying kids. They were probably thirty. You know, but still, it's uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just, and I it, maybe it's because we're at we're starting to get to that age maybe maybe vulnerable demographic maybe but it's it's it, it it's it has not escaped me how it's it's becoming and this is maybe a good thing under the circumstances where it's ingrained in my head where where you know i i almost i i feel bad i feel awkward when someone's still unconsciously hey buddy reaches out to shake my hand yeah, right and and, and i yeah. and i went and i go eh. i've been that person you too. know I mean, you know yeah, and, you're in a, you're in a people business right so you go to meet a client it's like uh, hey how are you you know I, I catch myself it's just like a natural instinct that you've been ingrained with for mm -hmm. years um you know the whole shaking of the hands when you greet someone um and they used to put especially our generation or older put a lot of weight behind it uh, you know you were taught to give a firm handshake sure. okay you know don't give them the, the dead fish right right, right 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 so the your handshake meant something it did it was um, a, it was a, it was part of, part of the first impression right it's uh it's gone the way of tap dance <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a it's dead a, dead language like esperanza crazy man it's a it's not even gonna be a, oh. and I, that's the thing that scares me about doing the improv stuff because a lot of what i teach now is more relationship how do you you know and uh some of the exercises that i teach are is, is basically can you show a, a relationship through touch like how do friends touch each other differently than say a mother and a daughter do you know and uh can we as an audience see that from just how and I can't even do that particular exercise because no. of this. Yeah. Um, but that is just again human connection. And I think this is gonna have a profound effect on that, on our how we connect as humans to one another. And we're already kind of seeing that disintegrate just from a political landscape of you know how we connect with one another and to immediately dismiss one another it's and to rec the recognition of racial problems and all everything it, it's it, it we're not connecting 
uh, as human beings. It scares me because uh, you know prior to all of this, uh, I, I had I had said it before, and this is even, I'm talking about three and four years ago on on the radio, and I, I've said this on podcasts too. I mean, this is not helping uh, the already in place uh, disintegration of empathy that right. that the world has. You know, when I when when I was on the radio and um, uh, when I started to notice that the you know mass shootings would occur and with each mass shooting that came you know it, it seemed like eh. desensitized yeah you know and, and if it wasn't and when I say a, a mass shooting if it wasn't if it wasn't more than 20 dead if there was like a, a shooting at a shopping center where there was eight people that made the news Hmm. Slow news day. Yeah, yeah, eight. You know, as opposed to eighty. Uh, but the yeah. yeah. So so this situation that we're in now just continues to 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 reduce the amount of empathy, and 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 yet at the same time inflames other things. Well, we've noticed murder rates go up. So I wonder if people are just this separation has created more angst and lack of empathy. Well, does that include uh, coughing on other people? Is that counted yeah, as murder? That that's just a to me. That's a, an assault. You know, I mean, these when, you, when you do it on purpose, when you do it on purpose, if yeah. you know you're sick and you, you maybe well, even if you don't, you're there's an implied like there's been videos of like people in stores and they say you need to put a mask on and, and a lady yeah cough on a little kid. I'm right. like, yeah. you know what? Punch her in the face. She just she assaulted you. You're just retaliating. You know, that's crazy. Not the, I advocate punching people in the no, face, I, but I mean, I, that's making, an assault. That's like uh, it's spitting on somebody when you know you have AIDS, you know, or so it, it's uh, it's it's assault. Um, so whether she is COVID positive or not, or the person doing that is, it, it's, You're it's, right. it, it's the implied, right? The not knowing. I don't know, but... Uh, in times like this of stress and uncertainty, yes, for both of you, what's kind of a go-to? What's something that all you always can turn to? What's a reliable source of comfort and control? <laughs> Solitude, whiskey, <laughs> whiskey. <laughs> uh, easy one for the guy that has the whiskey business the, podcast. Um, <laughs> so, so, well, yeah. Sidebar question. Sure. sure. When when we got when we had the stay-at-home mm -hmm. order. Uh, some of my friends were freaking out. I apparently was made for solitude. You know, it, it, oh. it, it didn't it didn't affect me as much. Um, what started to affect me was was not so much the solitude, but how it started to play with my head uh, e emotionally and creatively, and, mm -hmm. and that, that's what bummed me out. But solitude wise. Uh, yeah, in the beginning with the stay at home, I did my drinking did increase. I think, and that's that's I think that happened with a lot, a lot of, of people. Yeah. My smoking definitely increased. You mm -hmm. know, uh, was smoking and, and, and drinking more. Uh, but the solitude, I found my front porch became this uh, this this for lack of a better word, safe place or, or comforting place mm -hmm. where I could just sit. It was outside. And you know it's comfortable, and you know that's yeah. I do. I 
had my wife and our daughter and my grandkids came and stayed with us when we locked down because we didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. And we stocked up like doomsday preppers, you know, <laughs> and had, you know, a bunch of groceries. And so we cooked and I bought a bunch of wine and, you know, so we drank a lot initially. Um, it, and it w treated it as though we were, you know, on a vacation in the cabin in the woods or something. <laughs> right. But, but, and I realized I let my real estate, I, I kind of stopped working, even though I didn't have to. But I thought, I, I can't do anything. I had this mindset that, uh, I, you know, I knew I wasn't do, doing improv classes. I had to cancel those. So I, you know just put everything on hold i stopped marketing that i stopped doing everything and just kind of and then i realized that i you know i gotta get back to doing stuff and when i did that i stopped drinking not completely but honestly i i had drank last weekend i haven't drank that much in the past i've only drank once in the past three four weeks you know it's it's interesting it's, uh, i yeah so and I'm, I still go out. I'm still conscious of everything. I keep hand sanitizer and mask. Mm -hmm. and, and have that in the car. Uh, yeah, everything. But uh, and I don't go out as much. I still haven't eaten in a restaurant since the whole mm -hmm. thing. I I, I yeah. refuse to do that. I have had things ordered and picked up or delivered, but um, I'm still not comfortable with those kinds of social 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 settings. But yeah, uh, they'll come. It'll come, it, yeah. Hopefully soon. Uh, yeah, I, I've I've noticed that the I don't my resistance to that is 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 lessening as time goes on. Like yeah. you know, it's it's uh, you know when people would come to my my house, it was just a small circle people that I knew were safe in the beginning, mm -hmm. and even then, you know, we're gonna sit outside and, and safe distance. Right. And, and I, I I noticed that I'd be becoming a a, a tad more lacks still keeping things in mind you know this the safe distancing but you know before it was like I, I know where you've been i know where you've been i know where you've been and i know what you've been doing and what you've been doing what you've been doing you know check you're okay right uh you know you buddy i don't know you you have nothing <laughs> you uh, you don't seem to be taking this very seriously and because you're not taking it very seriously because you vocalized to me like oh it's bullshit that's the other thing you ain't coming over yeah, you know, uh, and I'm sorry. I, I, no, you're your buddy, your friend. We differ in our opinions until we're on the same page. You know, How see ya. That's one thing I don't understand: are the people who still are deniers or to think that it's some yeah. kind of hoax. Yeah. And it, and to what end? You know, uh, like really, uh, you think the entire <laughs> world is this gung ho about getting, making sure Trump doesn't get reelected? Yeah. That they all conspired. Uh, you know, uh, to kill this many people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's actually some pretty good faith in humanity to think we can all work together. Yeah, like that. To, yeah, <laughs> right. That's the one right. thing we can all agree on. Right. A, wow, really? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't get it, and I don't get the whole uh, just denying that it's a hoax, and I'm not wearing a mask because. The Constitution says I don't have to. I don't remember anything like that in the Constitution, <laughs> or how this is an infringement on your. I don't know. Yeah, I know. It, the, the the debate and 
I, I had some of those debates down in Florida with with people and oh, it's in Florida, uh huh, yeah, yeah. Geez. Oh, there's one there's a friend of my brother-in-law's who is you know just a one eighty from my thought process, and I just at one point I just smiled and said, "We don't agree. Let's talk about something else." Yeah. Let's talk about something else entirely because otherwise this conversation is going to get ugly. So sometimes I just like enough. Yeah. You know, you know. Well, it's like talking to a wall. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I, I've I've done that too, where you just have to unplug and you disengage. Just and make say, up your own mind. You know, yeah. I'm not here to change your mind. I don't right. have the energy to change your mind. Maybe, maybe I should. Maybe that's. But you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion just you know i'm not going to chastise you anymore for not wearing a mask you don't want to wear a mask that's fine but at the same time don't tell me that you're an idiot for wearing a mask either right. so keep it yeah. the same way no 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 i have a bit of an unrelated question for you guys okay as we are all entertainers in this room uh this is something i've always been curious about especially with podcasters have you had anyone, because they have listened to your voice so much, act as if they've already formed a relationship with you before you've even spoken to them? Oh, I'm sure Dino's had that yeah. happen numerous times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 24 years in, in radio, yeah, people feel like they know you. And that's, that's not unfair because in those 24 years, I wasn't... Uh, a character on the radio mm -hmm. I was pretty much me mm -hmm. and you know would say whatever I was thinking to a certain degree there were lines that you couldn't cross for obvious reasons and <laughs> I knew what station I was working at and I kept it in that family zone but um, yeah yeah there, there are people that uh, that's on the podcast every once in a while there'd be like you know you're easy to talk to because I feel like I, I already know you that mm -hmm. type of thing yeah that that's happened that's happened before, um, but not 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 excessively so. No. Uh -uh. Okay. Cool. I've just always been curious about that yeah. personally. Yeah. But, yeah. And that's never happened to me. <laughs> so I, you know what I used to get though, which was strange. Like even when I was younger on uh, at Ohio State, people would come up to me, and I don't know if I just have a generic face or what, but they go. Hey, did you go to high school at, uh, are you from so-and-so, uh, are you from, uh, I had this happen to me probably no less than 20 times, different random people coming up, hey, aren't you uh, from so somewhere, and aren't I'm like, nope, I'm, are you I'm, saying you're every guy? You're I guess, <laughs> I, I have a face that looks like somebody else that's from other cities. You know, I guess everybody has a doppelganger. But, yeah, you know, but, but you didn't think you'd have a, you know dozens of them. Dozens of them. Yeah, it's a, hey, yeah. he's not the man or the guy behind the man, but he does know his cousin. Oh, that's uh, my god! That's 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 that's. I forgot about that. I go. That sounds familiar. That's our that's my Twitter thing. I'm not the man or the man behind the man, but I do know his cousin. That's funny. Well, before we wrap up here. Um, is there anything as entertainers that either of you wish that you had known from the beginning that you know now? Good question. Yeah, that uh, Apple and Amazon stock was going to skyrocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Um, and that you hadn't put everything into Acme. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that. Callback. Full, Full circle. circle. Boom. Chut. We're out of here. Thank you. Good night. Mic drop. Yeah. Not that mic, because that's uh, a nice one. You it's don't a really drop nice that. mic. Yeah. Drop. <laughs> oh, man. Say, say it again. Say the question <laughs> again. So, as entertainers, yeah. specifically... Are there any things that either of you wish you had known from the beginning of your careers that you now know? From the beginning of the careers that I now know? Hmm. Uh, I've never been a naive person, so I can't say that, you know, I trust in people. I've always been able to, not always, but not always, but most of the time been able to, to sniff out the, the bullshit yeah, and the and the, the was that tough? It was probably tougher when you were in LA, though, because yeah. everybody's so full of shit yeah. out there. Yeah. Um. Mm. What does being an entertainer mean to you? There are things. There are things. Being an entertainer to me covers a, a lot of bases because, as we discussed before, there's a variety of ways for us to entertain. We can make film and entertain people that way. We can do a podcast and entertain people that way. We can do our stand-up and our improv and entertain people that way. We can write something and people will read it and entertain them that way. So I guess what it means to me is, is just to constantly be putting something out there that, uh, that, that people enjoy, that people will think about. Um, Lately, and it's been more toward during COVID. I've I've taken a, a shot at uh, some form of poetry. Uh, okay. Yeah, and I've never done that before. And I think the reason I've gravitated towards it is because it's a shorter form, and I have these immediate thoughts, and I've been emotionally exhausted. We're like, I don't want to write a short story. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know. Yeah. So I put it in in this form, and still get it out so I, I think anything that that has a positive effect with people or makes them think or makes them laugh uh, that's that's what entertaining means to me and we discussed this before the podcast uh, a little bit I've been it's 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 only been lately here that uh, I've been my own worst critic and my own my own worst enemy and like mm. everything I I try to write is crap and you know I just oh, really? yeah yeah well I've always been that way to some yeah point, I was gonna say you, but you, but you, but more so to to this point like I start I start to doubt I've started to doubt what the what the hell am I doing you know where where, where am I going what's going on I can't work in front of people there's no audiences to work in front of right now uh, yeah, it's been, it's, I've had some, some creative dilemmas that I'm in coming out with them. Like I said, we shot this little short film just a couple Sundays ago. That helped. Yeah. That helped to like, that was like when you said when people contacted you about improv and, and you got back into it and you realized how much you missed it. Yeah. And it was like, it was like a little, a little dose of something like, okay, yeah, this is what this is what we do. Yeah, yeah this is what we do. Yeah. We get in front of a camera. We make some funny things happen. All right, yeah, okay, let's go, <laughs> let's go. Somebody get me a typewriter. Yeah, that's right. right, a typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> you still use a typewriter? I still put rough drafts on a typewriter. 
Yeah, initial thoughts on the and then you breaker. transpose it to the, uh, and then I don't uh, well then I then I then I don't scan sh- it I don't scan it no yeah. I actually type it back into the computer yeah. do you really yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like uh, laborious <laughs> yes I just, I just <laughs> like to take like as a, long as freaking possible uh, when you go when you do that do you yes. t- like touch up uh, besides yes. like maybe a grammatical error yeah, or yes. something uh, I don't I don't worry about corrections on the typewriter the typewriter is is just actually the, just the pure raw spewing out of thought yeah, yeah so yeah. Well, that's no distractions too I mean you can have a notification pop up on the computer but you know on a typewriter you're gonna hear a ding and then and I like the, the ding message. and I like the sounds of uh, I like the I, I there's there's something uh, appealing to me about about that and the fact that it just takes a little more time mm-hmm. to think uh, about a word or so forth and so on and getting it onto the computer afterward helps keep it in your head better, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's all rehearsal. So <laughs> when you you say you, you were doubting yourself, is this like uh, earlier you mentioned something about, um, you know, everything I write, it sucks, and you were going through this kind of self-doubt. Is that like, do you think it, maybe that it's just paralysis by over-analysis? You're like looking at it and going, ah, that's it, or that's well, not, not exactly what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Because I do that even I on Twitter, that. it's like, oh, I'm going to reply to that, and I think it's, immediately think of something funny, type it, and then go, no, wait, I, for this to be funnier, I need to rephrase this, and it's like, no, just I, sh- I should have just gone with my first instinct right. and send it, but you, you start over-analyzing and start thinking, well, maybe, and then, well, no, now it's too long. It was better when it was shorter. It would have been funnier. And had, it's like writing a joke where you try to craft it so well which sometimes it's just quicker to the punch maybe that's why i like improv better it's maybe like so. you're not you're not overthinking it you don't have you're, time you to. don't tap you're in yeah. you're in you're out you're in the moment yeah but like to, to, to back to your original question like I, I think just to touch on what dino said creating just uh that is what makes us who we are right and and that's how we connect to others uh you know when you whether it's paint poetry uh do you music paint? have you ever painted i had i i tried i'm not very good at it I'm but I, I i it it is a very cathartic though it's I, an outlet uh same with sculpture like working with clay and stuff yeah. just creating something uh, uh you know, and whether somebody else likes it or enjoys it, sometimes it's just that getting it out of you, you know, just is, it's a release. It's letting something, uh, it's cathartic. It is cathartic. That, and, and in the sense that it just liberates you and you hope somebody else appreciates it. And I think that's the way, you know, all art is meant to touch somebody in some way, make them feel. Yeah. Right? How old uh, are you now? Uh, 58. 58. Yeah. yeah. And I'm 61. How old are you? 20. 20. 20. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> See, that's why he's milking us for style. Like, hey, yeah, what can I 20. avoid? <laughs> <laughs> what are the pitfalls yeah, that you guys experience? And I think that's part of it with, with COVID and where we are right now, too. Yeah. With the fact that it's it's limited so much and it's taken away some of the things that we need as performers venues people etc etc and then i and then sometimes i think maybe that's messing with me a little bit too you know like okay clock's ticking here and Mm -hmm. i really don't need any more obstacles in my way in order to put together what what i 
what I jokingly or probably not jokingly seriously call you know I still have I still have one more chapter mm. in my creative life left to do why is there still one more thing out there that I don't know what it is per se but one more thing I need to to round it out and I and I and I think that's part of the depression here as of late as I'm starting to panic like what the hell yeah I know with everything I'm, you know if this is can I can I work in this environment can I accomplish my can I get it done I don't know and I think that's what's been messing with me and but the fact that I'm aware of that's what's messing with me and the fact that I'm you know cognizant I can deal with it it's just how I deal with it you mentioned you're not drinking as much you know mm -hmm. before COVID you know I, I COVID did one of two things for me it told me that I was not a compulsive gambler and not an alcoholic because when when the casino shut down and bars shut down I didn't miss going to the casino I didn't miss playing Keno, which I love. I love to gamble, yeah. but I wasn't jonesing. I wasn't going on online sites to try right, to gamble. Right. Okay, thank God. I'm not a compulsive gambler. Calling up your bookie. Like, yeah, exactly. Anything I can bet on? Yes, cricket. <laughs> cricket. How does cricket work? Cricket seems like I could, you know, what, what's the line? Is there a line? Uh, <laughs> Give me the under. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I said we, was, we were drinking more when everything started. Right, right. But then when I went to Florida to visit my mom, you know, I, I was I was barely drinking at all. I mean, I went to the liquor store and got a bottle, you know, just to have there. But, you know, for me to have a fifth of whiskey last more than five weeks, that's yeah. ridiculous. Who yeah, are you? Who are you? Yeah, right. <laughs> Who is this person? So, yeah. Yeah. I can check those things off my list. They're just yeah, I thought I when, enjoy. when my wife and I decided we weren't going to drink anymore because, you know, we drank a lot for like the first few weeks Everybody of did. lockdown. And we're like, what are we doing, you know? And uh, and then we just stopped, and uh, and I didn't miss it, you know. I realized, yeah, I guess, you know. I and I thought I would start shaking. Or right. Something. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess, it's like being yeah. one of those people you had to tie down, and I'd have cold sweats for a week, and then I would wake up and go, oh, I'm a kid. And there there have been times where like, okay, I need to as soon as I get home, I'm hitting the porch, I'm pouring a bourbon, you know. Yeah, but right. it's, it's not like you know because that you, you asked earlier what's comforting and in, in, in the solitude, you know that to nurse a bourbon on the front porch and just kind of unwind is good. But if I would like, you know, God damn it, I need a drink. I right. need a drink right now. Yeah. You know, I I'm, I am shaking. I need you know. Yeah, then right. that would yeah, be that, that would be, would be that would be a problem. The the, uh, the other thing was I realized I I could rationalize why I drank too. It, whether it's it was, good for you, yeah. It's good for yeah. You one a day is it never going to hurt you, and uh, or you know it's like hey, I had a pretty good day today. You know, I just got kind of picked up a couple new clients. I you know time to celebrate. Mm -hmm. Or man, I had a shitty day today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, time for a cocktail. <laughs> or you know, or geez, it's a nice day outside. Let's go. Oh, it's raining. Let's have a cocktail. No. What, whatever you you know, you can rationalize or the, sure. give yourself a reason to. And I realized I was finding that reason, and it was basically just because I was home. You know, <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm home. Time for a cocktail. So rationalizations are like bowel movements, my friend. You need at least one good one every day. <laughs> <laughs> every day. That reminds me of my uh, joke about attorneys. Attorneys are like adult diapers. They're funny to. They're great to make fun of. 
until you actually need one, <laughs> and they're not that funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You probably have a bunch of other questions you didn't even get to, right? Because we were just gabbing. Yeah, we do. That's all right. As we do on Gap Street? Correct. You got that right. When that huge project comes out for the next chapter, where can my audience find it? Oh, I have no idea. Because I don't know what it is. You're still doing the Whiskey Business Podcast. Oh, Whiskey Business Podcast. Yeah, Yeah, we're still doing that. And uh, And you can find links to other uh, stuff. I, I just, I just, I just... I stepped into the late '90s and and and, and put out a new website. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Nice. Yeah, okay. Dinotripodus.com. Oh nice. Yeah, okay. Dinotripodus.com. Dinotripodus.com is out there now with everything that, and we're trying to, and we're. I still have to put, uh, I still have to put an acting reel on it. Yeah. There, but uh, but audio, voice voice reel is on there. Blogs, a link to whiskey business and 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 things. Oh, cool. So yeah, um, I don't. I don't know that. I know. I know. There's one thing that's, and it's. It pisses me off. It, there's. There's a. There's an unfinished book that I spent a year writing a, a a draft of and wrote on it every day. And every day I was committed. And I thought that the same process would go to the rewrite of it. I'd work on it every day. But once again, paralysis by analysis, my friend. Yeah. I started looking like, for that perfection. Yeah. Was I that a, I wrote down what you were thinking? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I wrote down what you were thinking should have been done, done and out, and and published or self-published, whatever the case might be. Um, Is yeah. that the same one you've been working on for about the two Great years? American no- no, no, oh, no, 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 no. That's okay. the OK American novel. Oh, yeah, the, 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 the great, <laughs> yeah, the great American the, novel. It's just the OK. It's just the OK American novel. I don't. Yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. working on the OK. It's Bob novel. Kerouac, Jack Kerouac's uh, <laughs> brother. Uh, two years later, since 2018. Yeah. Has the shift from DJing on Sunny 95 been a drastic change for you? How different is your life now, and in what ways? Um, I don't have to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. That's nice. Okay. <laughs> but I sincerely do miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, you do something for five days a week for 24 years, you miss it. And, and when I say miss it... Uh, I don't miss being a morning show guy, per se. I miss what I did as a morning show guy. Having a a fresh canvas every morning hmm. to splash whatever was going on on the course of any day. Whether it was something serious, silly, sad. Um, I miss that connection with people and to be honest with you I didn't even realize how much of a connection that there was there you know I never I never worried about ratings you know I never worried about how many people were listening I never knew if we went up or down we had our ups and downs over the course of the years we were on top in the middle on the bottom so forth and so never thought about that I never thought never worried about how many people were, were listening um, and didn't think that what I did mattered Hmm. in the big picture things and we're talking just in Columbus specific but when I announced that I was leaving and I left man that last week there there were I was 
emotionally, sincerely touched by the outpouring of, I remember when you did, and things that I had forgotten, mm-hmm. I mean, over the course of 24 years. I remember one time you pulled over on 315 when my, when, uh, when, when my, my car was on the side of the road and you pulled over and she had lost her muffler or something in the middle of the road. She goes, and you actually went out in the middle of 315 and grabbed the muffler when there wasn't any traffic and come back. I, I don't remember that. Wow. But I, I did remember when she said it, you know, it's, it's yeah. stuff like that. Things that you've done with, with, with people and for people that I didn't think twice about because it was just, this is what I do, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, you I, did a lot of charitable work. A lot of charitable day. work. You and raised still, a lot of money. Still for, tried millions of dollars for Children's Hospital. Children's Hospital. The yeah. Saco Down Syndrome Association. Yeah, but that's, and that that was probably the best part of the job, that it gave me the opportunity to, to, to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas just a regular guy, I don't know if I would have been able to just, to, to do those things, you know, in that capacity. So I miss the daily interaction with people. Um, moving forward, I'd like to find some other way. And the podcast works, but, you know, I wish there was something else I could do on a daily basis. There are no other radio jobs right now, and I don't know if I'd want it to be radio. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to find some way to connect on a daily basis with, with, with the people again. So we'll see. But, yeah, that that... I didn't realize how much you need purpose, you know, and, and sometimes I, I, I struggle with, well, what's my purpose now? You know, what, what am I, that last chapter that we keep talking about, what is the next thing I'm supposed to be doing? And it, 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 it baffles me and it's, it's like, hmm, I need to think about this a little bit more. So, yeah. That's what's been different. Especially when you consider that, that from from our perspective, we're at this age where uh, a lot of our peers have already got things figured out, like what they're going to do in their retirement. Right. And they've, they've got their whole lives planned out and then scheduled and, you know, they're going to retire and move to a, you know, two-bedroom condo and, this you know, nice weather and golf and, you know, it's like... Well, if that's what you want to do, but yeah, yeah it's a. It, 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 and from a real estate perspective, you know, I, this this is like two years ago when I was working at the radio station. No one said, no one in my family said beans to me about my house. Mm-hmm. Okay, I live I live alone. I have a, a three bedroom, one and a half bath, a nice size living room for Clintonville mm-hmm. uh, house. I've been there for 20 years. No one said beans about my house. Now, when I go to Florida and visit my family, all of a sudden now that I'm not working on a daily, regular basis in their minds, have you thought about maybe selling the house and downsizing? Like, no, why? <laughs> well, you're all by yourself. It's a lot of house for one person. Yeah. Oh, wasn't a lot of house for one person two years ago when I was getting up every morning and yeah. going someplace? It's interesting how people's perspectives of you change yeah. in in their minds and, and they adapt. Like, you know, he's he's not working on a regular basis. 
<laughs> he should maybe sell that house. He's, he's, he's strapped for cash. He should he sell that cash. house and maybe move someplace smaller. Yeah. <laughs> like your old apartment. Yeah. <laughs> My old apartment. My old apartment. Which, you know, now, hell, you know, you get an apartment, you're paying almost as much as you are for a mortgage. Right, exactly. Which and is where why you should go? buy. Contact Jeff Gage at Keller Williams. <laughs> Keller Williams. I to come full circle again. Yeah. Speaking blood. of which, how are you doing on time? Uh... Yeah, I'll probably have to take off here pretty soon. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. Just want to make sure we weren't going yeah. away. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, well, if we have time for one last kind of open-ended question. Sure. Is okay. that okay with everybody? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, what factors in both of your early lives gave you the confidence to use your voice, use your voices in the way that you have and do now? What f- factors your early life? Move those or along? Or just really any time in your life, I guess. Just what gave you the confidence to do what you do? Oh, boy. The confidence, because I still sometimes, you know, creative people are also some of the most insecure people. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and I've always said that I think a lot of people go up on stage to seek some kind of acceptance, mm-hmm. uh, even though you, you put up this kind of false bravado, but you're you really want that love and adulation from an audience or even from your work of, again, whatever it is, because whatever your you, art is. Because you didn't receive it as a child. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> really cracked open the tough nut here. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's, uh, no, but you are. You Nobody wants to go up and bomb, you know. Or, yet we uh, have. Uh, yet we have, you're right. You, you have to be. And even with acting, I mean, you you have to be vulnerable. You 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 have to be open, and sometimes you you got to take risk, and it's going to fall flat. And uh, but I don't know what from your childhood, I, I wanting acceptance. I guess I always looked for approval from peers, and mm-hmm. I, maybe not so much my parents. Oh, I, although I guess I did want that that yeah. approval too, yeah. um, the, because quite frankly, the wor- most nervous I was ever for a show was when my parents came to see me. Right, uh, I could, and this was just a small club in Memphis, and uh, they came to see me perform, and I was like, oh, geez, my parents are out there, oh, f-, you know, I was mm-hmm. freaking out, and I had done thousands of shows prior to that for huge much larger audiences and that for whatever reason that one really had a profound effect on me but so i guess you're seeking some kind of acceptance as you're going forward and you always have maybe from your youth yeah everybody wants approval validation yeah i would say i had a horrible uh growing up as a kid uh inferiority complex uh with my family you know that that sometimes i think still dwells deep down in there somewhere and uh you know raises that specter of 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 doubt where we talked about is this good enough the paralysis by analysis i think sometimes at 61 years of age i think that still haunts me from time to time but um I, I don't know. I don't know what what it. There's. I've always been a creative person. Um, I I think it was. You know, in my twenties, when I was your age, I worked 
two and three jobs that I hated. You know, I was a young married guy with a kid at 21 years of age. I put the bread on the table and, you know, did what I had to do. But at some point, you know, it, it, it kept ringing in there that you, you can't, you've got to do something else. Yeah. You, know, you, you can't just do this, you know. Um, I remember, I remember sitting in the garage in my, at, at 21, I had a little desk in the garage and, and the typewriters and so forth. They didn't have a computer then. Um, and I would sit there and I would probably my most productive years as far as volume was in my early twenties where I wrote short story after short story after short story and sent them out, sent them out, sent them out to get published and get rejected, rejected, rejected. And then um, I think it was some airline magazine that published the first thing that, that, I, that I did uh, at some point. But I look back on the, I still have all those typewritten yeah. short stories and I could see why they were rejected. <laughs> I can see why they uh, and yet there's still something there and what I what I envy about them is the fact that wow you had the the cojones the to, cojones to yeah. sit out there and 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 let your mind go and yeah and, and, and type and I'm, I'm I'm looking at some of the some of the premises that were involved some of them were kind of dark and funny at the same time but you you like the talents there it's just it's just not and that's the first step to creativity is to sit down and do it do it ass and, and chair and, and, i mean it's easy to sit back and go you know what I, oh i got an idea I, I should do that someday you're never get right. around to it unless you actually do it ass know? in chair step yeah. one <laughs> i've got a, a notebook at home full of uh, screenplay ideas right so and that are st it's still sitting there from 1994 that I've just never, uh, you know, I have the characters and everything. I've just never done I'll go you one further. I, speaking of rummaging through stuff, I came across a spiral notebook, all right? Yeah. Of an actual handwritten sophomore year of high school, handwritten uh, screenplay that I... In my head, I thought that we were going to make this movie. It was a crime, a crime film. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's 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 all it's all laid out. It was a. Uh, it could have been it, at the time. Uh, <laughs> you'll get this reference, but but nobody else will. Uh, <laughs> at the time, what I, I think I was channeling it. It was like it looked like a fifteen-minute version of Kojak. <laughs> with Telly Savalas. Right. Uh, but I was like, okay, so I was doing this. Even then. Even yeah. then. Well, in high school, we were, I had a, took my dad's little Super 8 camera and we were shooting short So films. did we. Yeah. So did we. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you and, you know, I always had that imagination of like trying to create something out, you know, just something from nothing and. Kevin Young and I yeah. would play radio with the cassette recorder. We, right, would, we yeah. would play records on the on the record on the rec, on the record player. Yeah, <laughs> we would play forty fives, but we would record ourselves DJing the forty fives. Here's a new hit from Donny Osmond. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> Here's a new group called the Jackson Five. <laughs> <laughs> kind of underground, obscure. Yeah. <laughs> And now for some easy listening, here's 
here's Johnny Mandel with the theme for Mesh. It's <laughs> <laughs> getting heavy in here. Yeah, 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 yeah. But and I did the morning announcements. Oh, at school. At school. Yeah. But well, uh, but I did them humorously. Yeah. So you know that got me out of so much trouble in high school because oh, the principal. I would do like I gotta go. Yeah, I would do okay. I would do fake announcements, you know, like two real announcements and a fake one. Because comedy goes in threes, Jeff Gage. That's right. All right, we're out of here. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for listening this week, Gab Street listeners. We'll catch you next more next Wednesday morning at six a.m. Just like every week. <laughs>